turn your Bible to Psalm 134. This will be the last message I preach uh, on these songs for singing on the way to church. Try to conclude that today on Christmas Eve. The title of this message is Bend Your Knees for Christmas. If you look at Psalm 134, when it starts with Psalm, it says, Bless the Lord. And we looked at that before. That first word to bless means to, to bend your knees. And they've sung these 15 songs on the way to church as they climbed up the mountain, and it would have taken them uh, quite a bit of time to get there. And it concludes with this song that I believe most likely would have been sung at the house of God, not just on the way to the house of God. And it would have been a, a preparatory song where they would actually bow on their knees and, and worship to the Lord. I want you to think about for a minute, if, if you would, their preparation to get there to God's house. It would have been lots and lots of preparation they would have had to prepare their tithes, which we've talked about, it would have been their crops, the first fruit of their crops, wagons full of crops. It would have been their young animals, the firstborn of all their young animals would have been led there by halter, the young bull calves, the young lambs would have been head, headed there together with them. They would have gathered all their family, included all the family within their gates, all their children and grandchildren, all those who served them, all those who worked alongside their family would have been included in that gathering together. And then they would have taken this journey, this long journey to the house of God, which we've uh, talked about repeatedly was a really steep hill, walking uphill a long way. And don't forget, they're not driving, they're walking. And all the way, they're meeting with their friends and they're uh, communities coming together as they're walking to the house of the Lord and they're singing these 15 songs on the way. And besides all of this, think of the anticipation of going to God's house. The anticipation of getting to uh, come into the place where the Lord dwells in those days and to be in God's house with the Lord. There would have been such anticipation, such looking forward to being with the Lord in his house on that day. And to have went through all of this preparation and all of this journey and all this labor and all this effort to come and meet with God, to get there and miss God would be tragic, wouldn't it? I want to say to you that I believe we do the same thing today with Christmas. The word Christmas means the birth of Christ. That's what it means. Jesus' birthday and for many of you, you have, not all of you have done all these things, certainly I have not, but some of you maybe have done all these things. You've hung the lights on your house, or uh, based on how country you are, I'll use that term gently, you may have left them up from last year, the lights <laughs> on your house. You've prepared and, and put up the tree, you've gotten it out, and what a labor that can be, the boxes of ornaments and all the preparations for the tree. Uh, many of you have sent out and received Christmas cards from people you love and sent to people you love. Uh, some have gone so far as to put a manger scene in your yard and represent the birth of Jesus. You have purchased presents far and wide for those you love. 
and you've prepared food for this big day that's today and tomorrow including and the preparation of food men don't forget also includes going to the grocery store and also all of the cooking and preparation for the day i heard some women this morning talking about being up really early preparing food and cooking food and what is all this for all of this christmas thing for along with it i would mention as well the anticipation you've looked forward to this christmas since last christmas it's been a year's long journey and how much shorter does the journey seem every year from Christmas to Christmas? It's getting shorter. And if we do all of this and all this preparation and our work stops and stores close, it's one of the last few things in our society that stores close and things stop for. To do all of this and miss Jesus could be tragic and vain and sad. If you missed Jesus this Christmas, it would be the greatest tragedy of Christmas ever. And can I say to you in the day that we live in, I believe that most, I'm, I'm saying this intentionally, most people in the United States who celebrate Christmas miss Jesus. Most miss Jesus. For whose birthday it is that we celebrate. And so I just want to give you three points about blessing the Lord and then now notice this is not talking about God blessing us, it's talking about us blessing him. Blessing the Lord includes three things we're going to look at. Number one, to bend the knee. Number two, to repent. And number three, to believe him. First of all, let's look at blessing the Lord. And blessed means to bow. That's literally what the word means. When you are blessing God, you're not making him better. You're not making him greater. You're not making him stronger. He already is the greatest, the strongest, the highest. The Bible declares him King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is that whether you bless him or not. But David says in Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Think about those words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't miss the last phrase, and forget not all his benefits. Remember those things that God has done for you, the goodness that God has shown to you. It's like you would come into the house of the Lord and, and, and think like this. I have so recognized God's goodness to me this year. I must do one thing. And what would that one thing be? But to bend my knees and bow before the living God. I want to give you an illustration that illustrates this so well. And it goes back to the book of Genesis when Abraham was about to die, and it says that Abraham was advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Uh, he had blessed him in all things. That's a, that's a mighty statement in it. Abraham says that he was older in age, and I look at my life, and God's blessed me in all things. And being aware that Abraham was about to die, he, he thought, well, my son Isaac needs a wife. He's not yet married. And I don't know about you. If you're about to die and your son's not yet married, you, you might be willing to take measures in your own hands. And that's the way Abraham was. And so he calls his servant. And he says to his servant, I want you to swear to me that you'll go to my family's land and find a wife for my son Abraham. Imagine that, being a servant. 
and uh, your your job is this job. Go find a, a wife for your, for your boss's son. That's a pretty big task, isn't it? And the servant says that I will do that, and he knows that if he's going to do that, it's going to be under the, the blessing of God. God's going to have to work. If you're going to have to go find a wife for somebody else. And not only that, he's going to have to go find this wife for Isaac in one day. <laughs> Think of that. I'm blown away by this. This servant is going to go away and find a wife for, for Isaac. And another thing, Isaac doesn't even go on the trip. He stays home. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Isaac, I would say, hold on now. Let me go with you. At least let me window shop a little bit, you know, look from a distance. Let me go with you because this has a lot to do with me. But no, Isaac stays home. And this servant of Abraham goes out to find the wife uh, for Isaac. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 11, it says, And he made even his camels to bow down out to the, outside the city by a well of water at evening time, when the time of women came out to draw water. The words kneel down right there is our same word in Psalm 134 that means to bless God. And so here's this servant. He comes up to this well, and he, and he prays this prayer. And he says, Lord, if you're going to help me find a wife for Isaac today, here's what I ask you to do. When I ask her for water... Have her give me water, but and then say, I'm going to feed, give you water, but also water to all your camels. That's what the servant prays. And so when he gets there and he prays this prayer, he's thinking, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get this blessing from God to find a wife for my, for my Lord today, I need God's help. And so he even makes the camels kneel down at the at the well there. And you know the story. Rebecca comes out and offers water to the servant and the servant says thank you for the water and then Rebecca says let me also draw water enough to, to water your camels as well and she does that and then the servant follows her home and uh, and you know the story how she agrees to go back with them to to marry Isaac and when all this has been agreed to and the servant is about to leave in Genesis chapter 24 verse 48 it says, and I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. And I have you in that verse there underlined three different words. And these are all the words for bless the Lord in Psalm 134. I bowed my head. That's the word of blessing the Lord. He bowed and then he worshiped. That's the word of blessing the Lord. And then he blessed the Lord. It's just translated different in many places in Scripture. But it means this, to, to so be aware of the goodness of God. To so be aware of God's goodness to you that you feel this necessity, this urgency, this constraining power that you've got to bend down on your knees and proclaim to God how great God is. And that's what this servant did. And so I want to ask you, maybe you won't do it at the end of this service. I'm going to give you a chance at the end of this service to just, at the invitation, to, to bow your knee and to turn around there at your seat and, and literally get down on your knees and to proclaim the goodness of God for this year or for your life. I'm going to give you that, that opportunity at the end of the service and the invitation. But if you don't do it there, you feel unfit or uncomfortable to do it at the invitation in a few minutes, would you at some Time over the next two days, whether it's in your house or by your bed, or 
I like to go outside somewhere and do it and just get down on your knees. I'm asking you to do this physically at some point in the next two days. Get down on your knees physically and with your heart declare the goodness of God from the depths of your soul. So, blessing God includes bending the knee. Number two, blessing God includes to repent. It includes repentance. Let me start by defining repentance for you. The Hebrew word for repentance means to re return. It implies to go backwards from where you've been. It denotes a turning about, a, a converting from one thing to another thing, like from sin to God. Let me give you three parts of repentance. First of all, there's the act of repentance. And the act of repentance is to turn around. It is a turning, sometimes it's called a changing, sometimes it's called converting or conversion. The Bible says, uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, turn me and I shall be turned. After I was turned, I repented. And so it is a turning around that God does, and then once you are turned, you repent. And you turn from darkness to light, or from sin to God. The second part of it is the subject of repentance. The subject of repentance is the whole man. And included in the whole of man is your heart and your life. And so repentance involving the whole of you would be, first of all, repentance in your heart, and then repentance in your life would be your living. In other words, your practicing or your lifestyle. It's like what is said in Isaiah when he says, wash me. And then I'll be clean. The washing is what happens in your heart. The being clean is what happens in your life. He says, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes and cease to do evil and learn to do well. There is a converting in the heart and then there's a converting in your ways. There's a changing in your heart that takes place and then a changing in your ways. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 31 says, cast away from you all transgressions which you have committed. And get yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? There's both parts included in it. The, the second one is a new heart and a new spirit. That's the first part of repentance. It happens in your heart. And the second part is the beginning of this verse. Cast away all transgressions which you have committed. And then the third part of repentance is the terms of it. The terms of this change or this difference in your heart and your life is that you are moving from sin to God. The heart must be changed from the state and power of sin to God and godliness. The heart must be under his power in a state of grace and the life must have a new rule of obedience. Uh, two verses that show this clearly, Acts chapter 26 verse 18. To open their eyes in order that to turn them from darkness to light. Notice the first part of that. To open their eyes. It's like you have known somebody who's living in sin. It's like they're blind and they cannot see. Have you known anybody like that? Maybe it's a child of yours. Maybe it's a spouse of yours. Maybe it's a friend of yours. It's like they're blind and they cannot see. They don't know the darkness that they're living in. But there comes a day when God moves upon their heart and he opens their eyes that they can now see. Why? It says in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. 
another verse that explains it is Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Let, it, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon or forgive. And so this repentance is a turning about with your whole heart and life, and it results in a change whereby you move from sin to God. The second thing about repentance is that repentance is a gift that comes from heaven. It is not something you can strive to do. You can't just muster up in your heart the courage to go and repent. It must come from God. Acts chapter 5 verse 31 says, Men are not born with repentance in their hearts, as they are born with tongues in their mouths. It's not something you're born with. It's something God gives you from heaven. I heard a man say one time like this. He says, repentance is not a flower that grows in nature's garden. In other words, it's not something that comes from your human nature, this desire to return to God. If you're here today and you say, I have a desire to return to God, you must know that that means God has moved on your life. God has moved upon your heart and your soul, and he is the one who has given you that nature to return to him. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. In other words, you cannot change yourself. You cannot repent on your own. No more than a leopard can change his spots. God must come upon your heart. I call upon you today. Do you know someone who needs repentance? If it's you and yourself, then you must cry out to God to give you repentance. If it's some friend or loved one that you know that needs repentance, then you must cry out to God to give them repentance because it is not going to come from some conversation or from some intellectual discussion. It's going to come from the breath of God, from the realm of heaven, and when he moves on somebody, they will repent. Glory to God. And so I say to you that this repentance is including in the bowing. To prove it, I want to give you that all the repentance mentioned in the New Testament was under the first preaching of the gospel. Let me say it a different way. How much today in the preaching do you hear the word repentance? Very rarely. Not so often. But in all the beginning preaching of the New Testament, repentance was the word on their lips. Let me give you examples. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. And look what he said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached his first sermon. And look what he said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached a second time, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Then later, Jesus would send out the twelve apostles, two by two, to preach. And here's what they said in Mark chapter 6. So they went out and preached that people should repent. Peter's first great sermon was on the day of Pentecost, the day when God sent the Holy Spirit down to earth to fill the believers. And in Peter's message in Acts chapter 2, he said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter's second sermon was after he had healed a paralyzed man on Solomon's porch. 
And look what he said in Acts chapter 3. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You say, that's Peter. What about Paul? Well, here's Paul preaching on Mars Hill. And he says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of all this to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, the assurance of this repentance that is going to be real is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And not only is this repentance included in all this original preaching of the gospel of the New Testament, the Bible even declares that when even one soul repents, it is celebrated by the angels in heaven. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Imagine this. If there be one in this house today who would humble their heart before the living God and repent before God and cry out to God, oh, forgive me and turn my heart, then on this day in heaven, the angels of glory will rejoice over that one me and you today, as little as you are, the angels of heaven will stop what they're doing today and rejoice over your repentance. Why? Because it's glory to God. It's glory to God because it is God who moves upon a heart to bring about repentance. And so if you were to bless the Lord, you would be repentant as you bend your knees. The third point about bending the knee or blessing the Lord is to have faith. To bend the knee is to believe God and to trust God. He is the one that you trust. If I could say to you today and be testifying about the greatest sorrow that I have known being a pastor, not to watch people die, it's not even to watch people be sick. The greatest sorrow I've watched and experienced being a pastor is to watch people from God's Church begin to doubt God and distrust God and then at some point even shake their fist at God and blame God for wrongs and hardships and difficulties in their life. I remember the first time it happened, Ronnie, when I was a young man and I was at a man's house and he began to literally do like this and, and make claims against the living God and declare the weakness of God and the failure of God in his life. As a young man, I went home and cried because it broke my heart that somebody would so doubt the living God and blame the living God. You know that there's nothing in the world that does more to harden the heart, to bind the tongue, to tie our hands, to put our feet in shackles, and to cause our eyes to be blind than unbelief. Somebody who doubts God will not speak for God, will not work for God, will not go for God, and will not see the things God has for them. Why? Because they doubt the living God. Unbelief renders a man utterly unfit to walk in the ways of God, especially when there are great storms that begin to rise in your life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, 
exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin the hardening that happens to your heart is unbelief and it causes you to be deceived by sin when you doubt the living God the lie of the devil prevails and it convinces you that God does not tell you the truth and God is not to be trusted it's the age-old light goes all the way back to the days of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And Adam was there, and a voice spoke to Adam and said, There are things in disobedience that are better than obedience. You will get more, Adam, if you disobey God than you will if you obey God. Whispered to Adam that God doesn't want you to have his best. He whispered to Adam that you better take measures into your own hands or you're not going to get God's best. And in so doing, he was saying to Adam, you cannot trust God. And Adam must have believed him. He must have believed him to take the fruit into his hands. And many today are in the same state. As we grow older, many grow harder. As we grow older in the faith, many grow harder. But it should not be so. It is only so because we are beginning to doubt God. You are more aware of your experience of the things where God has failed, in your mind at least, than you are in the areas where God has succeeded, in your mind at least. And so you get in this point of aging and aging, older and older, your body is growing older, but inside you're growing harder. When the Bible says just the opposite, your body is growing older, but inside you're being renewed day by day. You should be becoming softer, more trusting of God, more faith in God, more apt to testify of your trust and belief in God. And it filters over into every area of your life. If we speak first of the grace of God, it, the grace I've taught you for years from the word of God means God is for you. His favor is upon you. His pleasure is upon your life. But when the hard knocks of life come into your home, it affects your child or affects your spouse or tragedy strikes in the area of sickness or even in the area of death or in the area of loss of some degree. How many times do you question the grace of God? How many times do you question God's favor for you? It's easier for you to see God's favor for someone else than it is for you to see God's favor for you. But Jesus died for you. Jesus gave his life for you. And one day he called you to know this and to accept this and to declare, Lord, save me. And he did. And he changed you from the inside out. And the testimony of that is the spirit who lives and dwells inside of you. So I call upon you today, do not be, become hard-hearted in the area of grace. Believe stronger as you get older that God is for you. Believe stronger even though hard experiences may face your family and face your marriage and face your life. Can you not with humility get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I don't like what's happening. I'm not in agreement with what has occurred, but I know that you're for me because Jesus went to the cross for me. Can you not have the belief today that you once had, and even greater, that God's grace is for you, God's favor is for you? What about God's provision? I remember as a young saved man, I got saved when I was 15, I had such 
uh, I would call it almost blind faith in the provision of God. He'll take care of me. He'll provide for me. He'll give me what I need. He'll bless my finances. He'll do the things I need. He'll give me a wife. I mean, you go on and on. I trust in the provision of God. But as the years go by and you have remembrance in your mind of sometimes when difficulty came and sometimes when hardship was there and sometimes you did not get the provision you wanted. That's the key word, the provision you wanted. It's easy to grow hard in your heart callous in your heart and no longer there's no longer this softness that has a confident trust in God and God give us some elders in this church some older men and older women some some of those who are mature in the faith who would not grow hard in, in their belief in the provision of God but would be a vocal testimony of surely God is going to do what God needs to do in the time that God needs to do it for who he needs to do it for why because Jesus sits on the throne I'm not going to grow weary in believing in the provision of God and we can go on about the forgiveness of God you can grow hard to believe in that God would forgive well, let's start with you after your repeated sins so many repeated sins you're tired of them you must know surely God's tired of them and so the devil whispers to you surely he wouldn't forgive you again it's been so many times it's been so many years it's been so repetitive surely he wouldn't forgive you again but he doesn't forgive you based on how good you've been he forgives you based on how honorable Jesus was to go to the cross in your place and so to believe in the forgiveness of God for yourself is a place where you must be on Christmas Day. You must come to believe this on Christmas Day, that surely I can call upon God for forgiveness in Jesus' name and find that forgiveness for me. And that's the place where the devil starts attacking this forgiveness of God is when you're in within your own soul and then he moves it outside to others around you and you begin to think surely God wouldn't forgive that man or surely God wouldn't forgive that woman they're, they're horrible their sins are mighty and great but I would say to you God just as surely will forgive them through Jesus as he forgave you through Jesus what about the love of God I preach today in, a, in an area, in a town, in a land, in a, in a group of people who needs to hear more of the love of God than ever before. Because we begin to, to doubt that God loves us, to doubt that God is for us. Men who have begun to doubt the love of God, they're so needy in this old world. They need self-love more than ever before. They need the love of other men and other women more than ever before. Why? Because there's this great hole in their heart because they started doubting that God loves them. God loves you. Don't you doubt it. He sent Jesus to die for you. Don't you doubt it. How dangerous is this unbelief? This person who cannot get on their knees in the hardest of times and declare, Lord, I believe you. I remember when cancer struck our home and Cindy and I got on our knees before God and said, Lord, we believe you. We must believe you. You've carried us too far to doubt you now. We must believe you. Unbelief can carry a sinner towards sin. Unbelief can carry a Christian towards a hard heart. 
And unbelief can carry a man so far down the road is what the Bible calls apostasy, where he would come to the place where he'd turn his back on God and on the ways of God. Why? How can he get to such a state from loving God to turning his back on God? I'll tell you how it happens through unbelief. Unbelief. Someone who doesn't trust God anymore. Who doesn't believe God's for them anymore. And doesn't believe God loves them anymore. They travel that road, down that road, till their heart gets harder and harder and harder. Until one day they don't believe enough to pray. One day they don't believe enough to read his word. One day they don't believe enough to come to his house. One day they don't believe enough to weep before him. You say, what hope is there for that person that God would grant them repentance and turn their heart. Jesus is everything. And that's what Christmas is about. That's what blessing God is about. Jesus is everything. Colossians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Christ is all and in all. In other words, we have all things through Christ Jesus. Everything that you have comes through Jesus, the Christ. If you are sick, Jesus is your physician. If you're thirsty, Jesus is the water of life. If you have sin that's troubling you, Jesus is your righteousness. If you stand in need of help, Jesus is mighty to save. If you fear death, Jesus is your life. If you're in darkness, Jesus is the light. If you're weak, Jesus is your strength. If you're in poverty, Jesus is your riches. If you desire heaven, Jesus is the way. The soul cannot cry out today, I want this and I would have that. Because if you have Jesus, you have all you need. Faith looks on God as the psalmist once said and says this. This is my God. This is my God forever and ever. And he shall guide me till the day that I die. Faith looks on Jesus and it, and it becomes like Thomas. You remember Thomas in the New Testament? He said, I don't believe Jesus is resurrected, and I won't believe Jesus is resurrected unless I can stick my fingers into the hole in his side and into the hole in his hands. And the Bible says on that day when Jesus appeared before Thomas, he stuck his fingers into the holes in Jesus' hands. And do you remember what he said that day? He said, my Lord and my God. He knew from that time that it was God, and he had faith born in his heart that called him my Lord and my God. Faith on Christmas tomorrow will cause you to trust in the promise of God and believe in the name of God and call upon the name of Jesus and believe that Jesus is for even you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence. Keep your heart with all diligence. I would ask you today, if you're going to bless the Lord, when you bow on your knees before the living God, you need to examine this point. Is Jesus on the throne of your heart? Is he on the throne of your life? Have you surrendered everything you have to him? Everything you are to him? Everything you are not to him? Is he on the throne of your heart? And I remind you that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that your body becomes the temple of the living God. That place where God's presence dwells in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I would ask you to examine, is Jesus on your heart and is the Spirit in your life? Examine, is there anyone else that sits on my throne of my heart? If there are, 
I want him gone. Is there any other presence inside of me besides the person of the Spirit? If there is, I want him gone. It's all for Jesus. To bless the Lord, you bend your knee. You'd ask God to give you repentance, and he would. And you'd renew your faith by preaching to yourself and declaring how good God is and how he loves you and how he's for you. You would believe God. I want to conclude this series on the songs for singing on the way to church by giving you a quick summary of each of these 15 songs and what they stood for to increase your faith and your belief in God. The first one was Psalm 120, and it said this, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and he heard my voice. The next one was Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Do you believe that? Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let's go to the house of the Lord. And remember when I preached that, I said that the men are to be the ones on Sunday morning that get up and say, Let's go. Let's go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 123. I will lift my eyes to God who dwells in the heavens. Psalm 124. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, and they would have swallowed us alive. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 125. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds us. Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears will come with shouts of joy. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Psalm 129. I am afflicted, but I'm not defeated. Since my youth, they have plowed my back. But the Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Psalm 130, out of the depths of the sea, I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my supplications. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. Psalm 131, I come and quieted my soul in the Lord. Psalms 132, God promised to David, I will have a house in Jerusalem. Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Remember that tomorrow. 
How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Psalm 134 says, Behold, watch. Bless the Lord. That means get out on your knees and bless the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord because he is the Lord who made heaven and earth and he blesses you. Praise God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I told you in this invitation, I'm going to give you the opportunity to bend the knee. If you want to do that, would you do it now? Just immediately turn around there in your seat and get down on your knees before God and begin to bless Him for all His goodness and to proclaim how good He's been to you, how favorable He's been to you, and to give Him glory and honor for all that He's done. Bless the Lord. Hold my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Father, we bless you today. We declare your goodness. We declare your kindness. Your grace overwhelms us. Your son Jesus' love for us is more than we can stand. Father, we bless you. We bless you in the name of Jesus. You are worthy. You are great. You are strong. Your ways are perfect. Your timing is right. And Lord, so often we get headstrong and think we know better. We confess today that we don't. So often, Lord, we try to take measures into our own hands. We ask you to forgive us of that. And we put our life into your hands. I put my life into your hands, Lord. I give you my life. I give you my children each one by name at this time. I give you my friends. I give you this church. Lord, all things are yours. And we lay them at your feet. And we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, for you are great. Lord, these are so worth mentioning. But in in contrast, there's so many other things you do. You've been so good to us, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name, we bless you. Amen. Would you stand with us?